The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. This is the word of the Lord. So I was um, in Texas this last week with my my wife visiting our in-laws and my nephews and nieces. And, you know, we have, my uh, my wife and I have a a one and a three-year-old. But my um, in-laws have five and six-year-olds, so they're a little older and and bigger. And there were two times in this trip to Texas I realized how little control I have um, over my children. So the first was just when they would play together, how fast my nephews would go by my son. They had these little scooters, and they would scoot down the, um, the sidewalk, and then and just, just like grease lightning really quickly, and then go right at them and then swerve last minute, narrowly missing them, and my heart would skip a beat. Because my daughter's like this tall. Um, but the second time was actually when I came home from the trip. So my nephews had colds, and my, my children, Laura and Elisha, caught their colds. So now we have sick babies, which I know many families experience this in traveling. Um, so the other night, Elisha and Laura are sick, and I have this horrible dream, the dream you don't want to have as a parent, that something horrible happened to Elisha. And it woke me up, and I got out of bed, and I could hear him moaning in his room. And I was like, oh, no. And I go to his room, and I think he heard me, and he said, Papa, ugh. And I open the door, and he's just gooey, ill, just sick. But then he turns his head, and I see the whole half of his head is covered in blood. And it freaked me out. And, um, you know, I just had this horrible dream, and I run, and I get Camden. And uh, let me assuage your fears. It was a bad ear infection that had blood. But it reminded me how little control I have 
over my children. And I wonder if you've had a similar experience in life. Maybe not over your kids, but, but times when you recognize, I really have less control than I think I do. And maybe not control about people around you. Maybe it's control of your own self. In our text today, Jesus takes this idea of this biggest area of control, which, are, which is our physical and spiritual life, our life. And he says, all of our life depends on me. It depends on me. It depends on my flesh and my blood. And then conversely, not your flesh and not your blood, but mine. It's a challenging text to our modern ears. Why? Well, it's because we love our supposed, perceived, false, sovereign authority. We love our supposed control. But in this text, Jesus is saying that the only true way to life is if God the Father, by the work of the Son, through the effectual application of the Spirit, renews our will. So I'm going to say that sentence uh, much more succinctly. To say it simply, we must be given life. We must be given life. So how are we to receive something that we can only be given? In uh, three ways. First, we recognize the source. Second, we reject what is unhelpful. And third, we must be renewed by the Spirit. Those are my three points. So let's look, look at recognizing the source. So the first thing Jesus points us to is the source of life. So isn't that a big question that both children and adults ask? What is the source of life? What's the point of life? Where does life come from? What will give me life? In this first paragraph, Jesus is saying, I am the source of life. So look at verses 52 to 59. This first paragraph, it's increasing in intensity from the last paragraph. Now I put the last paragraph there for you. For context, in the last paragraph, this one in italics, Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. That he was this manna that came down from heaven that we read about in Exodus. So you know, to say, to say I am bread, to say those words, you know, that feels okay to us, our modern ears. You know, we like bread. It's soft and it's fluffy and it's, it's chewy and it has good texture. We all love bread. Um, but here in our passage, it, in, it intensifies Jesus changes the words from bread to flesh and blood. And now you're thinking, this is weird. But I want you to imagine how an ancient Israelite would have heard these words. Where did an ancient Israelite see flesh and blood all of the time? At a temple sacrifice. At a temple sacrifice. They would have immediately made this connection. Now, to make it even more scandalous, remember a Jewish man is forbidden in the Torah from consuming what? Blood. Blood. But look, the text even changes words here. It says, eat and drink flesh and blood in verse 53 to what? Feed and drink in verse 54. Do you see that? So what's the difference between eating and feeding? Well, it's actually the same in German. So I was a German major. And in German, you would never say the dog eats food. Ein Hund frisst ist das Essen. You would say a dog feeds on food. Ein Hund frisst das Essen. They're different words. So we don't do this in English, but they do it in German and ancient Greek. And what is the picture Jesus is giving? 
It's a bloodbath. Jesus isn't saying, take a nibble. He's saying, sink your teeth in and rip off a chunk and swallow down the glass. Now this is getting kind of gross, isn't it? But what's the point? Jesus is not neutral about how we respond to him. He doesn't want us to take a little bit of him. He doesn't want a small response. When it comes to the question of life, he wants us to devour every crumb, to feed on him. He wants all of us. So now, maybe this grosses you out a little bit, um, but I want to remember this is a metaphor. (laughs) This is not cannibalism. So where are we challenged? Why is he speaking in such extremes? He's speaking in extremes because he's talking about the source of all life. Jesus alone is the source of life, and it's a big deal, and nothing less than an illustration of life and death would be appropriate. So, you know, I was a, I was a bit of a weird child when I was young, um, and I remember journaling questions around middle school of things like, what is the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? What are the things that really matter? And later, I, I married Camden, and I found out she was doing the same thing in middle school. And then I found out, after sharing this with some other people, that they were asking similar questions when they were children, in their youth. And then I realized, you know, maybe I'm not as strange as I thought I was. Maybe this is a question we all ask. Maybe it's a central question for most of us. And, you know, I remember journaling something like, you know, the meaning of life is to know a higher power. I wasn't ready to say God yet. Um, I I wasn't a believer in Christ at that time. And, you know, Jesus is addressing believers and unbelievers in this passage. So I want you to note that these are mostly Jewish people, verse 52, and some of them claim to be disciples of Jesus. You see that? Verse 60. And so he's speaking exclusively in exclusivity terms to challenge two types of people. People who think they believe and don't, and people who do not believe at all. Now, I know for some of us, this exclusivity is difficult. It's difficult for our time and our culture. Many modern people have tried to twist the meaning of Jesus' words here, to, to soften it. And for this first point, I just want us all on the same page about this question of life. Jesus is exclusive. And he's not just a little bit exclusive. He's pretty extreme. He's pretty graphic. Now, we'll wrestle with exclusivity more throughout the sermon, but I just want us to see it for this first point. He is claiming he's the source of life. He's the exclusive source of life because, verse 57, I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And then verse 58, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So here's what I want us to wrestle with as we continue through this passage. Is Jesus my source of life or not? And if not, what is? Remember, he's challenging disciples and strangers. Is Jesus my source of life or not? And if not, what is? And Jesus kind of gives us part of the answer to this um, to what may be a poor substitute for the source of life. Verse 63 in the middle, he says, the flesh 
is no help at all. And I want to explore that. This is our second point. What we reject what's unhelpful. So, so if you're looking, if you're seeking, what is the source of life? How do I find it? One thing we must do is reject what is unhelpful. So verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were rumbling about this, said to him, said to them, do you take offense at this? Do you take offense at this? This is a hard saying. Do you take offense at this? Jesus asked a provocative question to help the disciples understand why this is so hard for them. And and it's a question I would pose to us here. Do you take offense at this? And if so, why? Why? What exactly is offensive? And I want to explore that question. And as I was thinking about this, you know, there's a host of reasons you might be offended about Christianity, about Jesus. Maybe you don't like God's judgments when you read the Bible. Maybe the judgments of God and the decisions he makes about people and their actions disagree with you. Maybe the idea of God speaking through a Bible is offensive to you. Is the Bible historically accurate? By the way, the answer to that question is is yes, but that's a different sermon. Maybe you struggle with the question of theodicy. How could could a just God allow suffering? But let me suggest what I believe is mainly going on in our hearts. What's going on inside of us is a kicking and screaming rebellion to cling to our own sovereign authority. We want control of our lives. And we want the decision of where we find life to be our decision. We don't want to be told. And we grasp tightly to our perceived sovereign authority. And what is this supposed sovereign authority? Again, it's verse 63. The flesh is no help at all. The flesh is no help at all. Jesus is saying a fundamental truth about humans. We want to rely on our own flesh for salvation. But you were created to rely on another's. So do you see the language of flesh coming up again in the text? So remember that first paragraph, Jesus is saying, you must feed on my flesh. And then in this paragraph, your flesh, see the contrast, is no help at all. So you know what, when I, when I read this, it gets, it gets me in my heart. I cannot tell you how many times a day I realize, I wake up and I say, I'm not, I'm relying on my flesh. Do you do that? And I'm tired when right in front of me is a feast to nourish me and sustain me. For the Christian and for all people, we have one source of life, but we have something we must reject. And that is to think that salvation comes from mankind, from ourselves. Now let me press into the stubbornness of our hearts here for a second, and I want to ask three questions. The first is, where in life do you think you've got it? I mean, where do you shine? What area of life do you not need help? The place you are doing well. And does that area give you a false sense of authority? Second, on what flesh are you depending? You know, there are many uh, fleshy things that humans can go to. 
vices, addictions, distractions that we can use to escape reality for a moment. Third, are there other good things, good things on which you depend to replace the authority of Jesus? Even good fleshy things like a spouse or a friend or maybe a dating relationship or a parent or a sibling. We can use these good fleshy things to replace the authority and the love and the concern of Christ through his spirit on our behalf. To whom do you run first? Is Jesus really the source of life? Are we willing to reject what is unhelpful? Or are we holding it white-knuckled in sweaty palms? Now let me bring up what I believe is the biggest uh, stumbling block in this text. And it's verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. You know, as if it is not hard enough uh, to be challenged in our relying upon our own flesh, doesn't it feel like Jesus just sweeps the rug out from under us with these words here? I mean, not only can we not rely on our own flesh, but we have no control over the future. Jesus knows already what's going to happen. So how helpless am I exactly? (laughs) So for some of us, nothing can make us more feeble than the doctrine of effectual calling, which is a fancy word that means if the Spirit doesn't come and knockin', we stay dead. So it was Milton Berle who said, uh, if opportunity doesn't come a-knocking, build a door. But in this situation, we don't have the option to build. We're not alive. If the Spirit doesn't make us alive, how can we build? We're dead. So that's our question for our third point. How can we be made alive We must be renewed by the Spirit. It is only by the Spirit, it is only by the Spirit that we can be made alive. Verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. You know, it's actually all through the Bible that we see that it is the Spirit who gives life. So I want you to think back, even to the creation story in Genesis. God's Spirit hovers over the waters, and the Spirit creates by the power of the Word. Think back even to the images that we just read in this passage, this, these images of life that, has the, that are given to us. Feeding on Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus, the manna that comes down from heaven, the last sentence of our passage, God granting us life. So how, you ask, can I be made alive? Only by the renewal of the Spirit. Now, if you're not a Christian yet, this will sound strange, because it sounds like I'm saying we can't do anything. When you read this text, it really appears to be the work of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if you're a Christian, you get this. You get how the Spirit's working here. In fact, the longer you're a Christian, the more you get this. Because the more you recognize how dependent you are. Let me spark your memory for a second. When you are clearly sinning, who convicts you of your sin? The Spirit. 
the Spirit. When you're in the midst of grief and sorrow, who comes to comfort you, to remind you that the Lord loves you and He will not let you go? The Spirit. When you're depressed, who encourages you? When you you don't know what to say and you don't have words to speak, who gives you those words? When you don't know how to pray, who prays for you? The Spirit that proceeds from the Father and the Son. And when you think back in your mind for a moment to either that, that moment or that period of time that you came to saving faith, who called you? Who called you? Who put that mustard seed of truth in your soul that has blossomed into a tree of faith throughout your life? Who worked faith in you? The Spirit of God. Yet there is a great warning for us in this passage. We must abide in the Spirit. To not abide is to grieve the Holy Spirit as we read in our call to confession. You know, I cannot tell you how many times the answers to our anxieties, our worries, our fears, even some of our suffering is because we are grieving the Spirit. Ignoring Him, rebelling against Him, relying on our own flesh. To disconnect from the Spirit is death. So look, God is your Father. Amen? Jesus is your Savior. Amen? Well, the Spirit is your life. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we Christians can be like a man who is wandering in the desert who refuses to drink deeply of the well that is right in front of him. So even for a believer, we must be renewed by the Spirit continually. We must abide in the Spirit. How does an unbeliever connect to the Spirit? If we talked about believers, how about an unbeliever? He says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. How are Jesus' words spirit and life? Two ways. The first one I told you already. So remember in Genesis, God, God's spirit. He creates by his word. It is by his word, even the word that we read today, through which you receive God's spirit. Now remember, it's not the physical printed words. I don't want us to get confused here. It's whether or not you believe the words. To believe the words of Jesus is to receive the spirit of Jesus. They're not separated. So this is why, by the way, and Christians will recognize this when I say it, that there is no book like the Bible. So something happens when we read and hear the story of the gospel. The story that there really is a God who loves you. A God who wants to be in relationship with you you, and will pursue you to the point of death. When you read this book, the very spirit who authored it enters you. If he calls you. If he calls you. So people certainly read this book, right? People have read the Bible and don't believe it because it's the spirit who works belief. It is the spirit who works faith. You see, this is why you cannot separate the word from the spirit. Now this makes us feel what? Helpless. Helpless. Why would God want us to feel helpless? To show us that he is the source of life. From where comes my help? Now look, 
what if the fact that we are so helpless is not by accident, but by design? What if Jesus is raising a fence, not to push us away, but that we would come near? What if the doctrine of effectual calling of the Spirit is not a source of frustration, but a source of joy? If Jesus' words here are true, they are life indeed. So would you allow me to close with this? You might be thinking, you know, I want Jesus, but I don't want to give up my sovereign control. I like my control. And I want to help us here. You know, frankly, it is not up to us to decide things like how God judges. It's his judgments. It's really not up to us to decide whether we like or not the fact that the Father must grant salvation. It's his to grant. And it's not up to us whether we agree with the fact that Jesus is exclusive. But what is up to us is how we respond to him. So look, the gospel is that we are so desperately sick, so fallen, so much more sinful than we would ever realize. But at the same time, we are more loved, more forgiven, more rich than we would dare hope. You know, we can have the physical word before us and we can miss the message. To receive Christ is not an act of just keeping a text in front of you. While it's good to keep the text in front of you, what what is important is that we would receive Jesus by the work of the Spirit who applies the message of that work to our hearts. That word to our hearts. And when you get that, you get life. And all of a sudden you find that you're not alone because the Spirit is with you and you're not afraid because the Spirit goes before you. And when you should be anxious, you're calm because the Spirit's in control because you've let go of control. How do we receive the Spirit? We let go of control. We let go, we submit our lives to Christ. Now, before you go thinking, this is too much, you're asking too much, I want us to remember the Lord Jesus before he went on the cross. He said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knows what it's like to give up control. Jesus knows what dependence is like. And here's the hope. Jesus knows what it's like to be raised. When Jesus says, verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What is the response we should have? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending? I want to ascend. I want to be raised. I want to be with you. Should be our response. Would you consider... Submitting your life to Christ. Would you consider being raised from death to life? You simply believe the words spoken today. And Jesus will give you life. Let's close in prayer.